Welcome to Trowadron Legends and Lore. Episode 48, Drulandia. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Trowden Legends and Lore. I am Chad Corey. And before we get started here, let me do a quick little announcement here. Um, I am available on chadcorey.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at CreatorChad. And if you want to get more information about Trowden information, which I'm sharing today, you just don't get enough, you want some more, you can go to trowden.com. That's T-R-A-L-O-D-R-E-N.com as well as use Trowdren as a handle at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the social media there, and get your knowledge augmented with what is presented on a pretty frequent basis there. Um, I also have a newsletter for those who might want to take advantage of that. I'll be sharing more information about what's going on and where I'm going to, and in particular all the events and things that I'm participating in as we wrap up the year of signings, tours, events, things of that nature that you might want to take advantage of in general. And for those who don't know, I've been plugging the books the last couple episodes, so I'll do that again one last time in this episode. I am the author of the Wizard King Trilogy and the Shadow Regent. Those are four titles that you can take advantage of in the world of Trowden and learn more about this world setting, at least a sliver of it, that the books are able to grant access to. The first book in the Wizard King Trilogy is Return of the Wizard King. Second book is Trial of the Wizard King. And third is Triumph of the Wizard King. And those come in a handy-dandy, nice collection box set as well. If you like that for a particular gifts now as we're coming up to the uh, Christmas season at the time of this uh, publication for this recording, you can see uh, also a full-color world map is included in it as well. So you can take advantage of that as you read along and see where everyone is going and kind of get a better idea as well as we talk about things on the podcast, where these places are. So that's it for the uh, quick announcements there. Thanks for putting up with that. Um, this is the final episode of the mini-series we've been doing about the origin cities. Um, for those who don't know, we started off oh, several issues, uh, several episodes ago, excuse me, talking about the origin of the origin cities. And the origin cities are what the mortal kind believes uh, are the foundational beginnings of them as a race. It's not actually 100% true. But it is something they use to kind of pinpoint the beginnings of their, their people group and help them track the migrations and history and culture and mythology of them as the years have progressed. So as we've been talking about, we've been learning more about what went into the beginnings of the origin cities, how they were established, and then kind of more or less a short summation of their history and their ultimate end and how we got to the modern age. So we'll be doing the same thing with this last particular origin city. And then I'll be sharing a couple thoughts from me after that about some other things as we go along. But we're talking about Drulandia today. And this is the origin city of the dwarves. And this is unique in that it actually is probably maybe the truest reality of an origin city. That is, this is where all the dwarves came from. Uh, this is the only unique distinction. Like I said, it's not shared by the other origin cities because there were other population groups of the various races uh, scattered throughout a good chunk of the north northern hemisphere before the northern I mean before the origin cities came about and even after they came about for a long period of time 
with the dwarves, that was not necessarily the case. For some reason, uh, we don't really know why, although it's speculated, uh, probably this is where they survived the Great Shaking, or maybe it was a, a center in the ancient uh, Drenoric landscape where they kind of took shelter or were grouped initially. And again, no one's 100% sure on that, historically speaking. But for whatever reason, this was really the only place on the Northern Hemisphere that the dwarves congregated, at least as far as we know. Again, taking a couple steps back, what happened was there was a great shaking that destroyed the supercontinent that existed on Trilodron. And in the process, as you can imagine, there's a lot of death and destruction and a lot of changes that took place. And so for a great period of time, no one really knew what was going on because, again, if you're trying to survive and just get to the next day, you're not really going to be interested too much so in preserving history or writing history. You just want to make it to the next day and try and find shelter and, you know, rebuild your life or maybe even rebuild society to some extent. So that was a contributing factor to a lot of the, the murkiness and the shadowness, we call it, the, the shadow years. And it has hindered a lot of uh, historical insight to be provided to scholars and sages of the modern age and what exactly happened. But if there were any other dwarves scattered around at this period of time, we don't really know about it. Uh, it doesn't say they can't be. It's just that we don't really know about it. They, we just know that a large swath of them or a great chunk of them were found in the Diamond Mountains. And the Diamond Mountains were a mountain chain, a really big mountain chain on Talithiel. And so I mentioned previously that we there were only two, that Arden and Sharon were unique in that there were the two origin cities that were really close to each other. I guess I take that back. <laughs> I forgot to mention that Drulandia and Gondad were a similar situation, but it played out a little bit differently. We'll get into that in just a moment. But let's do a couple, couple of steps back. Why is it called Drulandia? Well, the dwarves initially were not called dwarves. When they were created as an offshoot of the Draenors through their curse, they were named Drew. And Drew, again, it's not 100% clear what that name meant. Uh, it's assuming that it had some type of aspect tied to maybe the coloration of their skin or their size or something to that effect that the Draenors named them that. Uh, or it's assumed that's a Draenor name. Maybe it was a nickname. Again, it's not 100% sure how that came about. But for whatever reason... They were known as the Drew, and so obviously Drewlandia was the land of the Drew. So that's kind of how that name came about. In time, the name Drew would become morphed and changed into you know Dwarf, you know if you want to call it that. So Dwarf became their name, and their uh, they adopted that as well, but kept the ancient you know Drewlandian name for their origin city. Now, with the dwarves, they had a unique situation as well, similar to what Sharon had in that, for some reason, again, we don't really know when, but this became a, a city. Again, it might be speculated that because the dwarves were focused on that particular part of the land or mountains for that region, uh, for whatever particular reason, that that afforded them the, the means to have a city. And so they had more or less a kind of a fortified city there, from the very beginning, and they even had a king ruling them. But when that king was crowned and, and when he came to power, we don't really know. We just kind of, like I said, when the curtain was lifts and the clouds lift for the hiding the shade for a little bit there, we just see him already established. He's a king and he's ruling Drulandia as that king. And this king's name was Henry. So Henry was the first king of the dwarves. 
and there would be many kings after him who would rule fairly well for centuries as, as well. And the dwarves were, as you can imagine, focused on adding to their territory, as a lot of the origin cities were, as a lot of the nations were as well. They had their particular challenge, however, though, they were fighting a lot of times the giants, the norms, and dragons that lived in the mountains. And so they were always having to face off and fight for territory and to claim and to keep what they already have. And sometimes these wars would win them more territory. Sometimes they'd fall back and lose that territory and have to regroup and retake it. But their focus, for the most part, was in claiming the Diamond Mountains as their own. They really didn't have an interest, for the most part, in stepping too much beyond the region. Um, some could argue that they just didn't have the time and the resources yet to branch beyond the mountains because it's such a big landscape and a very arduous task to kind of keep that territory. It's a very rough and, and challenging terrain. They also had the unique distinction of building underground, which became kind of characteristic of the gnomes and how they live and exist and things, you know, living underground and in the mountains and hills and things. But they took to digging more into the mountains, getting more resources out of them, building more communities underground, partially as a defensive mechanism to keep from the, the rigors of uh, the harder life of the mountains and the, the challenges they were facing, but also as a practical means because, like I said, they were digging deeper and deeper to get resources and supplies and things, and so inevitably they just had the idea of, you know, let's just build a, a community or a network or something here and do all the mines connected to each other. You know, eventually, just out of necessity, they began to maybe trading centers, it became cities and things like that. So you had a lot of stuff going on underground, a lot of things and outposts and things built above ground in the mountains that still exist today. And that became the foundation of first the kingdom and then eventually, I guess you can say an empire, although they would never really call it an empire. It would just remain the kingdom. I guess, you know, you could say it had imperial trappings, but they always kept kings. They never had emperors and they always had more of a, a kingdom mindset to them. Now, the challenge and the change to this origin city came primarily through Gondad, which was the origin city of uh, humanity, particularly Taborians. They were, for the most part, kept to their own devices, kept to themselves fairly easily. There wasn't really any challenges or anything really between the two peoples for a very long time. It wasn't until we got close to the last, oh, couple hundred years of Gondad as an as a empire that we saw some conflict begin to arise. And even at first, it wasn't much of a great conflict that, that did arise. It was just some challenges about logistics and territory. And Gondad was seeking to continue their press into taking all of Talithila as their own, and they ran up against the Diamond Mountains. And because the Diamond Mountains basically bisect the land, uh, they had to find a way around it or find a way through it, which led them to their interactions with the dwarves. And like I said, for the most part, the people that interacted with them initially weren't really concerned about the mountains. They just wanted to get the land beyond them, especially when they realized that the mountains were more or less pretty much dominated by the dwarves. They didn't really see the desire in reinventing the wheel, so to speak, and taking over the territory, especially when they had such great resources to trade with the dwarves, all the gold and minerals and metals and stuff that they had access to. It's like, hey, let's just form an alliance. And so they made more of a trade agreement and became kind of trading partners and working partners in that, that respect. And Gondad was able to kind of sneak around the mountains, come out on the other side, and continue their conquest for the territory beyond the mountains. And that went on for a very uh, long time. 
they had some peace. They actually found a mutual respect and benefit with each other. And again, there wasn't really any interest in taking over the mountains. There wasn't really interest in the dwarves and taking over the humans. So, I mean, everyone was happy. They're getting rich off of the trade. So it was kind of a hunky-dory. Everything was, was looking good kind of situation. Eventually, though, this would change when you got different leadership in Gondad that began to have more imperialistic and world domination kind of mindset where they just saw that the gnomes, I mean, the, the dwarves, don't really serve a purpose if they're independent. Why not, you know, instead of trading for all this stuff, why not just own it? You know, why not just control the whole territory? There's a lot of resources we could take advantage of. We could have the dwarves as, you know, vassals, use them as our, you know, laborers to get the, the various things that we need. And we can continue to use that for fuel for our, our engine for war. Because, I mean, you got all this metal ore and things we can use for weapons and armor and siege engines and ships and things. And we can just have a great old time and use it as a resource hub. And why not control it? Why, why do we keep giving them our, our funds and resources? And you get the idea. So that was the mindset that changed with Gondad. And in that process there was a war that developed with the two nations and humanity just basically started dominating the mountains and the dwarves were pushing back and it was a pretty, they put up a pretty good fight for a long time, but ultimately they were overrun and they were dominated by Gondad who claimed all of the Diamond Mountains as their own and took on Drulandia and basically destroyed Drulandia in the process and destroyed the origin city. And eventually, just uh, I think a less than a century later, if I'm remembering my history correctly, or at least several, a few decades after that, would be the beginning of the Imperial Wars and the fall of Gondad itself. So ultimately, it reaped its own you know, destruction by destroying Drillandia. But you know, so you had that kind of bittersweet situation. But it didn't really bring any consolation to the dwarves who didn't really see the need to rebuild Drulandia after it was destroyed because of the, the nature of how it was destroyed and also the, the various factions that developed in dwarven society. You had uh, two different planes or philosophical ways of thinking, I guess you can say, that developed uh, leading up to and then following the destruction of Drulandia that saw the dwarves take two different paths in life. One of them was more, I guess you can say, optimistic in their outlook, thinking that, you know, we still have to interact with the world to some extent. We might not have to be like buddy-buddy on everything with them, but to, to keep ourselves shut away and and lock ourselves away and isolate ourselves isn't really the answer. We still have to be interacting and, and, and interact with them, but we don't have to do it at the expense of our culture and our society and our people. So kind of a, a halfway mark between, you know, let's fully embrace everyone in the world and let's fully be isolated, they became known eventually as the Hill Dwarves. They, they are probably the most that people are going to interact with dwarves. When they think of dwarves, they're thinking of Hill Dwarves because they still interact with people. They're not hostile to non-dwarves people. They just have a healthy respect and healthy boundaries, I guess you can say. They, they want to interact. They realize they have to live in a world filled with people that aren't dwarves, and they want to do their best to do that. But they also don't want to totally forget who they are as dwarves and limit themselves and hinder themselves in that respect. So they kind of, you know, straddle the fence on both sides of that issue. The other philosophical position that came about was kind of the exact opposite, where they had people that said, you know, we're, this is wrong. We, we, we fell. Our, our nation was destroyed because of our interaction with the humans, thinking that it's nice to do things with different races and things, and that's just wrong. We have to be ourselves. We have to cut ourselves off and isolate ourselves. That's the only way we're going to survive and thrive, and that's what we're going to do. 
and they became the mountain dwarfs, and they are the ones that are the most standoffish as far as interactions go, very limited in what they do with other races, different people, and they very much keep to themselves and their own populations, and that's kind of how they like it. And that's how the foundations of the mountain dwarves and the hill dwarves came about, primarily because of this division of uh, philosophical view on life that came about in a big extent because of the uh, fight with Gondad and the imperial wars in general that took place on Talithiel many, many centuries ago. Uh, the process of that, obviously because the dwarves are based in mountains, the dominant view of that group was the let's isolate ourselves type of view. And that has been the case ever since for the Diamond Mountains. There are different groups though, that came off of that that splintered, and these groups formed what were called clans. Initially, they, they got the clan name because they were supposed to be kind of all related. Again, poetically speaking, because the ones who founded these clans were the, the princes, I guess you could say, of the former king, uh, Drexel, who was the last king uh, to rule Drulandia before its fall. And these were his kids who went out and founded their own, I guess you can say colonies, but they, they formed their own kingdoms across the northern hemisphere, primarily in the, the Midlands, a little bit in the Northlands, some in the Southernlands, and you know, they, they, they went basically everywhere. And that was the foundation later on of the modern hill and mountain clans that existed across uh, Trilodon. And again, based on their philosophy, that is kind of what they, they generated uh, as far as their culture goes. And the kings, for the most part, and if I again try to remember my history here, I believe they all stayed the same. So the lineage remained the same. So each clan can, in and of itself, claim a direct connection to Drulandia because their kings came from the original princes who were the original rulers of Drulandia. So that's kind of their, your claim to fame, their, their cultural pride touchstone, if you will, that aspect. Although I think there were a couple that were founded not by the original rulers, but, you know, there's some tangential association with them, but again, they can claim a connection to Druidlandia in some way, shape, or form. But that's basically the nutshell summation of how the dwarves came about and the origin city of Druidlandia. It was never rebuilt. Uh, it was never reformed. There is a legend that says that one of the defenders of Druidlandia was a uh, warrior who took the name of Druid, and who, in the process of defending the city and in his death, was elevated to a god, Druid, the god of the dwarves. And his desire is to unify the dwarves once again into a unified people and bring about a grand, glorious revival of them across the, the world. And that is the foundation history of Druid. I talked a little bit about him, in particular, in the previous episodes. I won't get too much into him as well, because, again, this period of time the imperial wars got us three different gods as well the race gods which again if you're curious about it go back to episode I, I, season three i don't remember the exact episode but we talk more in depth about each of them in turn so that's that that's the summation of that that is the end of the origin cities so thank you so much for staying around checking that out i do appreciate that hopefully it has been of an interest to you i've enjoyed it i had fun sharing some more tidbits about that um, hopefully through this process now you'll be able to see some of the foundations of why things are the way they are on Trilodon and the reason why they are the way they are. In the meantime, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved. <laughs>